on the Christian Church's calendar. Today is Christ the King Sunday, the very last Sunday of the Christian Church calendar year. Next Sunday is New Year's Day, although we don't call it New Year's Day. On the calendar in the church, we call it the first Sunday of Advent, Advent being a season of something oh so deeper than happy New Year's. Advent is the season of hope for years, and not just for the one year that is coming. Advent is a season of hope for and encompassing and beyond all the years that will ever come. And so pretty much every Advent prayer we pray during every Advent season is a version of of a prayer that goes like this, Come, Lord Jesus, for ultimately you alone are our hope. But that's next week the first Sunday of the new church year. Today is the last Sunday of this church year, the Sunday that's called Christ the King Sunday. Midst the noisy clamors and toxic tweets and petty posts and painfully political posturing of the kings and kingdoms and politicians and parties of this world, whose noisy promises prove so often only to have been noise, whose windy boasts so often prove in the end only to have been wind, and whose reigns, though measured from our perspective in years, will ultimately be measured from eternity's perspective as but a fleeting breath. We, on Christ the King Sunday, take and seek to gain a deeper understanding of eternity's perspective by turning to the king of kings whose boldly, courageously, strongly, gentle promises are always kept and who at the end of all years will reign for forever. This year's Gospel text for Christ the King Sunday is a text that turns our attention to the end of all years when according to both scripture and creed, Christ the King of Kings will come again to judge the living and the dead. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked And gave you clothing. And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. 
And then the king will say to those on his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So you all know the saying, I've got good news and bad news. Well, the Bible, if you read it with even eyes that are half open, the Bible too, you can't not see this, addresses us with both good news and bad news. Luther's way of observing that is that God's word comes to us as both law and as gospel, and you cannot read and understand the Bible, he said, unless you know that and also know the difference between the two. And how can you tell law from gospel? What's the difference between the two? Well, it's a little simplistic, maybe, but it's not too far off to say that from a theological perspective anyway, the difference between law and gospel is the difference between bad news and good news. The law makes demands, including demands that are beyond you. The gospel makes promises, promises that are for you. The law condemns those who don't measure up. The gospel comforts the condemned and lifts them up. The law imprisons. The gospel frees the imprisoned. The law, God's law, judges as guilty all who are measured by the holy holiness of divine righteousness as falling short. The gospel, gospel being a word that literally means good news, judges us forgiven and loved as measured by the oh-so-holiness of divinely amazing grace. God's word Luther and Lutheran theologians say addresses us as both law and gospel, as both good news and bad news. Are you with me? Okay then, Lutherans, we're going to do some theology. Try to look a little more excited. (laughs) This morning we have this word from God's word. Whatever you do or don't do to those who are the least in the world, Jesus said, you are in fact doing or not doing to me. Whatever you do or don't do to the least in the world, you are in fact doing or not doing to Jesus. Okay, class, is that law or gospel? Is that accusation or benediction? Is that bad news or good news? Well, the answer, of course, right, is that certainly potentially anyway, it is both, right? I mean, for example, sisters and brothers in Christ, as a preacher of God's word, I have for you great good news this morning. You know those times in your life when you have thought, wouldn't it have been something to 
to have been there when Jesus walked this earth in the flesh? Wouldn't it be something, even just once in your lifetime, in my lifetime, to reach out and take the hand, the flesh and blood hand of Jesus? Wouldn't it be something if you didn't have to walk by faith but could instead walk by sight because you with your own eyes had seen Jesus and you with your own ears had heard Jesus and you with your own hand had not just touched Jesus but you were touched by Jesus. Well, sisters and brothers, listen to the good news in God's word today. You in this life can see and touch and hear Jesus. Because why? Because whatever you do to the least in the world, you do to him. Reaching out and touching the flesh and blood needs of the poor in the world is reaching out to flesh and blood touch him. It is almost Paul, don't tell the bishop I went too far on this. I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say, but it's almost like Jesus is something here, promising here that is almost sacramental. I will not declare this a third sacrament because then Paul would have to report me to the bishop for heresy. But it's almost sacramental, as in the sacrament of Holy Communion, in which Jesus comes to you literally comes to you, we believe. He is really and truly present right there for you in the seeable and touchable bread and wine of his meal. But seemingly almost in the same way, he also in this text says, comes to you, literally comes to you, is really and truly present for you in the seeable and touchable needs of any who do need anything that you can and do give. I can't not think of Mother Teresa who in the streets of Calcutta would cradle in her arms the poorest of the poor, the sickest of the sick, the smelliest putridest of the smelly putrid and good, clean, religious, not smelly people would ask her, how can you do that? And her reply would be, how can I not? Each one of these is Jesus in disguise. A little boy wanted to meet God. He knew it would be a long trip to where God lived, so he packed a backpack, including his two favorite foods, Twinkies and root beer. And he set off on the journey. He'd only got a few blocks when he came to an old woman sitting on a park bench just staring at pigeons, and she looked very sad and lonely. And so the little boy went and sat next to her, and he he opened out his backpack and he took out a two-pack of Twinkies and he offered one to her and she ate it and she smiled. Her smile was so warm and wonderful the boy wanted to see it again and so he offered her a can of his root beer and once again she smiled. The boy was delighted. They sat there all afternoon and they ate Twinkies and they drank root beer and they watched pigeons. As it grew dark, the boy realized he had to go home, and so he had to better get up and leave. But after he got up, he turned and he ran back, and he gave her a big hug, hug at which point he got the biggest smile of, of all. When he got home, his mother noticed how happy he was, so she asked him what he'd been doing all afternoon. He said, I had lunch with God. He said, you know, she has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. And then the woman went home and her son noticed that he was happy and she asked what she'd done that day. She said, I sat in the park and ate Twinkies with God. You know, he's much younger than I expected. (laughs) 
And it was true. She had lunch with God and the boy did too. And you can too. Because why? Because of the good news Jesus promised to you today that whatever you give to any in need, you can and do give to Jesus. For what you do to the least in the world, Jesus says you do to him. Take that seriously, which I surely invite you to do, and it can surely be maybe the sweetest good news you've heard ever, right? Of course, take it seriously, and it's not automatically good news, right? The class knew that Sunday school was going to be fun when they arrived and saw that their teacher, who was their favorite teacher ever, had put this big target on the bulletin board and he put bunches of darts on a table nearby. The teacher told his class to draw a picture of someone they disliked or someone who made them angry. And then just to get it out of their system, he said he would allow them, if they wanted to, to throw darts at the person's picture. And so the students drew their pictures and they all wanted to. They all did it. And their pictures were tacked up on top of the bulletin board in front of the target on the bulletin board and they threw, picked their darts and some of them did it with such vengeance and ripped them out when they were done that the, that the pictures they had drawn were torn. When the last child's mangled enemy was done being darted, the teacher went down and took that mangled image down and then took down the bullseye behind it, behind which was a picture of Jesus. And the room fell silent as each student viewed that mangled image, holes and jagged rips covering his face, piercing his eyes, and then the teacher gave the Bible verse for the day. Jesus said, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. He didn't need to say much more that day. The lesson had been taught. What you do to others who need something that you can give is actually something you are doing to Jesus, to Mother Teresa. Those words were gospel, words of beautiful hope and promise, great good news. For a Sunday school class one Sunday morning, those very same words were law. They were words of accusation and judgment, and sobering, bad news. Which, of course, leaves the question, is God's word for you this morning gospel or law? Does God's word for you this morning speak good news or bad news? Are you, in other words, you personally, by this text, lifted up as one of the sheep in the parable who one day will hear from the king, you so faithfully loved me by so faithfully loving those in need in this world. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, inherit the kingdom I've prepared for you. Or are you personally accused, condemned, judged by the word of God this morning, judged to be one of the goats in the parable? a goat who will one day hear from the king, you wicked and faithless servant, you ignored me by ignoring the needs of the poor in your life, and so now I ignore you. Depart from me. 
How does the King's Word this morning speak to you? As gospel, good news, for you personally are one of the sheep, or as law, bad news, for you personally are one of the goats? Well, how should we do this? Sheep on my right, goats on my left, just like the king in the parable did it? Those of you whose love for others is affirmed by this story, you join Mother Teresa over here. Those of you whose callousness toward others is condemned by this story, you get in hell. Out of here. There's the door. How about no? How about let's not do that? Because... Of course, you and I may be sheep in this story, or you and I may be goats in this story, but one thing we aren't in this story is the judge, right? Jesus is the judge. So how about what we do is stay right here and realize that there is good news in this story, and it is good news for all of us. And there's bad news in this story, and it is bad news for all of us. And... And never forget and. There's also the teller of the story, whose story is for all of us. For all of us who are, in fact, simultaneously both goat and sheep, in one and the same flesh, there is good news, and there's bad news, and there is King Jesus. King Jesus, who it's so important to realize just a day or two after telling this story would be crowned as a king and then nailed to a cross with his crown on. Of course, in this story, he judges my sin and he judges yours too and don't try to kid me. This story accuses and condemns all of us and our sin. But the storyteller then on the cross becomes our sin. Make no mistake, Jesus in this story damns, damns forever the over and over again calloused hardness of my heart and your heart too. But then he chooses to be damned. Hell with sin, he says in this story, but then almost right away next, hell is where he sets off to. Because why? Because he is more than the righteous king who hates the ugliness of sin to hell. He's the beautiful savior king who loves sinners to hell and back. And he will come again to judge. But it is he, it is Jesus, the king with nail marks still visible in his hand who will do the judging. Do not insult him and pour contempt on all that he did for you by asking him now or then to find you not guilty. Thank him now and then and worship him too by asking him now and then and forever and by grace alone to find you loved and forgiven. In the meantime, I have an idea. No, wait a minute, this is his idea. No, wait a minute, this is actually his commandment. In the meantime, worship him, thank him, love him, 
by loving your neighbor. Which neighbor? The one whose need is a need for acts of love responding to which you are not only being what you are, the body of Christ, there in flesh and blood for the love of her. She is also then being what Jesus said she is. She, your neighbor in need, is Jesus. Jesus himself, there in flesh and blood for the love of you. Amen.